That was great. That was, we just sang what we talked about last week. What does it look like to rejoice even in your trials? It's one thing, to, how are you doing today? It's one thing to say it is well, because it might not be. It's another thing to say it's well with my soul. doesn't mean my circumstances may be well, but it's well with my soul. If you uh, have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn to James 1. If you don't, we have some extra Bibles here. We love to give away Bibles. So I know when I first started attending church like this, I was like, wow, you actually read your Bible? So um, please feel free to raise your hand. Just take a Bible. Before we uh, begin to look at our passage, though, two quick things I want to mention. Next week, we have an annual meeting. Everybody's welcome. We'd love to have you. Even if you're not a member, you'll learn more about what's going on here at the church. It starts with registration and desserts at 545. So next Sunday night, make a note of that. And then the meeting itself is at 630. There is childcare for infants through uh, sixth grade. But um, we have some elders we're going to be voting on, uh, treasurer, financial secretaries, a number of great updates, talk about the budget. If you're a member and you can't be here, right outside by the table there is a, a a, an opportunity for you to do absentee voting. So you can pick that up um, if you can't come and you're a member because we need a quorum of, of members to vote. Uh, one other thing, um, it's going to be getting cold soon. I want you to think about the opportunity you have. Wouldn't it be great to go to Florida in January? I mean, just think about that. Florida in January. If you remember, Austin mentioned this opportunity that we have for some people to do a project with our missionary Scott and Susie Hampton. So what we're looking for is eight to 10 construction workers with experience. Come on, it's freezing up here. You can't be working outside. It's the 20 degrees below zero, but down there, um, if, if pray about it. And if God puts it in your heart or you're thinking about it, we have some more information about that, but email us, talk to us. Um, let us know if the Lord might be putting that on your heart. It's a great opportunity to encourage others and also to grow in the Lord as a Christian. All right, so we're in the book of James, we're in chapter 1, and we've been talking about how James is the litmus test of our faith, that if I say I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, number one, there's a reason why there aren't a whole lot of Christ followers. There's a number of reasons, but one of them is because it's hard, and Jesus made no bones about it. He said, Narrow is the road that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many are those who find it. So, while we're saved by God's grace and brought into his family as a gift, to walk what we call that narrow path of trust and obedience is not always easy. And there are many reasons for that. But one of the things that we need to know right from the beginning is that Following Christ will involve trials and temptations. Trials, as we mentioned last week, are these difficult circumstances we go through. But being a disciple of Christ, there are people out there who are telling us, if you become a disciple of Christ, you're going to be healthy, you're going to be prosperous, you're going to have your best life now, you can have everything now. And that's just not what the Bible teaches. What it teaches is that we're going to go through dangers and toils and snares and tribulations in entering the kingdom of God. So when we looked last week in James, we saw that James is going to talk about how we should respond to trials. Number one, we rejoice in our trials because we know they're making us like Christ. We just sang that, okay? Some of you, if I said, hey, what's going on in your life? You might say, it's bad, it's hard, it's tough. There's illness, there's financial, physical, emotional stress. But 
God has taught me to say, it's well with my soul. I praise God because I know that it's making me like Christ. But then we also learn to request God's wisdom, not just like, oh, help me to discern, but this practical way that I'm going to respond with the right attitude, with gentleness and kindness. Now, I want to, I want to press home something here. How many of you this week thought about this passage, thought about a trial that you're going through, tried to praise God for it, or in light of a trial you're going through, prayed to God to give you that practical wisdom to, to, to live, live right? How many of you actually did that? Okay, if you're, now, again, I'm not trying to shame any of you or anything like that, but what I want you to think about is the Bible says this. Do not just be a hearer of the word, but a doer, Right? So if we come to church, we hear the word of God, and then we never think about it, we never do anything about it, then, then we are failing to, to meditate on the word, to think about it, to apply it to our lives. James is going to tell us later in this chapter, if you just hear God's word and you don't do what it says, you're deceiving yourself, right? You're not growing, you're not following Christ if you just listen to the Bible. Now, in fairness, my wife and I talked this week, I said, do you feel like we're going through any really difficult trial. What trial you know, are you thinking about right now? And we both said, you know, right now, we're, we're in a really nice place, okay? And that's okay. Like, you don't have to feel guilty if you're like, man, nothing's, the roof's not falling down on us. That's fine. But, but bear in mind that it's not always going to be that way, okay? So James is going to tell us in chapter 5, if anyone's cheerful, sing praises. Don't pray for trials. We've been through some very severe trials. Right now, we're very grateful. So, but even if you're not going through trials, you can also help to disciple others because we need to prepare them for trials and then we need to encourage people in their trials. So as a parent, we want to protect our kids from pain. Great. But sometimes we need to prepare them for trials because they're going to happen. So the last thing we saw was to remember eternity, knowing God's perspective. Like if you're a poor Christian, you're rich. And if you're a rich man who doesn't care about God, you're gone down the tube, Right? But this morning, we're going to learn a, a fourth thing about the proper response, and that is that we need to recognize the truth about trials and temptations. Now, the reason is, is because we have a tendency when we're going through trials, if we mess up, to blame others, even to blame God. Why are you doing this? So look with me in verses 12 through 16. We're going to read this, and then we'll pray. James says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, once he's passed this test, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now notice this transition from trials to temptations. It's almost like James says, however, let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. You're like, well then, why am I tempted? Well, look what it says. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. There's something internal. And then when that lust has conceived, he's, he's sort of using a birth analogy, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Now look at verse 16. Do not be deceived. So one of the things that we have to do here is go, okay, I may draw wrong conclusions. I may have wrong thinking 
about my circumstances, and that's going to lead to wrong beliefs and wrong behavior. So that's why I say we need to recognize the truth. Don't be deceived. Okay, so what will that look like? Well, let's pray about it, and then we'll, we'll get started. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to read the word together and to grow together. For those who are just beginning, pray that they will find great joy in the Bible. For those who are further along, that we will continue to love the word, but also realize that the word of God sometimes corrects us, comforts us, strengthens us, teaches us how to live and what changes we need to make. May the Holy Spirit use your word. May we love Jesus more as we listen and learn from the scripture. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now notice, he's already told us that we should rejoice and we should request wisdom. But now the first thing that we're going to see this morning is that James is going to tell us that persevering through your trials has a great reward. Persevering. In other words, if I don't, don't continue, then I'm missing out on the reward. So let's start with the beginning of the verse. It says, blessed is, is the man. And again, you could say the person who perseveres. The idea of the, this blessing formula, that, that's used in both the Old and New Testament. There are a number of places in the Bible where I'll just say, blessed is this man. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who doesn't listen to the counsel of the ungodly, but delights in the word. Even when Jesus was on earth, when he taught the Beatitudes, remember he was teaching us how to live, he goes, blessed are the meek, blessed are the pure in heart. But when I, when I think of being blessed, the word itself means to be fortunate, privileged, a recipient of God's favor. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're happy, okay? You can be blessed, but not always meaning like, wow, I'm just so happy, Okay? So as you think about being blessed by God as a Christian, it's important to understand that blessing in Scripture has two senses. The first sense is what we call our positional blessing. Every Christian is positionally extremely blessed. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, we should praise God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So, so like Scrooge McDuck, who was, who was savoring his money, James says, as a Christian, you can just stop and think about how blessed you are. Every Christian positionally, these are true. You are forgiven of your sins, Ephesians says. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have been chosen by God. We are dearly loved by God. We have been adopted into his family. We have an inheritance waiting for us. And so sometimes we just need to stop and say, God, I thank you so much that I have all these blessings. Now, at the same time, even though that's true, sometimes when I ask people how they're doing, they'll say this, and maybe you've heard this, man, I am too blessed to be stressed. And I don't know how to take that, because on the one hand, I go, well, I must not be very blessed, because <laughs> I'm stressed, right? Now, I know what people mean, I think, when they say I'm too blessed to be stressed, but I think sometimes when you poke around, they probably would say, well, yeah, but I, I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah, I am stressed. Well, then I, then I go, well, then why are you saying too blessed to be stressed? So I think a better way to look at these blessings is, is maybe instead of saying too blessed to be stressed, is to say something like this. As I know my blessings, it'll help me slow my stressing. Does that make sense? 
But I think sometimes that might be a little, maybe not for you, but to me, too blessed to be stressed. It's like, well, yeah, but come on, really? But yeah, I need to think about, I am blessed, right? But on the other hand, that's one aspect of blessing. But the other aspect of blessing is more experiential. It, 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 it's, it's events in our lives where we experience God's blessing. Now, these are more what Jesus, for example, talked about in John 13. Remember when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? He said, I washed your feet. Now, now go and wash one another's feet. And if you know this, you are blessed when you do it. Okay? That's not talking about, wow, I'm forgiven. Yeah, you're always forgiven. But when we obey God, we have this special blessing that he often puts upon us, his favor upon us. In fact, later in James 1, in verse 25, he says, if you hear the word of God and you do what it says, you will be blessed in your life. So, so, so well, what does that look like? How do I know if I'm experientially being blessed by God? Well, I think there's a couple things to think about. It certainly doesn't mean material things, right? It doesn't mean if you're trusting and obeying God, you know, you should be getting a new car or you should just get good reports back from the doctor. But yet at the same time, there is a sense of God's joy and favor in your life, right? God does bless obedient Christians. And, and sometimes we miss out on favors and blessing especially just, just in our own souls because we're just not committed to trusting and obeying God. So James goes, blessed is a man, right, who perseveres under his trials. Now, what, what does he mean by persevering? Well, remember, a trial is any difficulty that's going to threaten my faithfulness to Christ. And, and we talked about this. Some of you are experiencing emotional trials financial trials, relational trials, like you can't get along with your spouse, you, you've got a kid away from the Lord, or, or your parents are dying, or, or you've lost a loved one, or, or, or you can't get along with someone else. There's all kinds of trials, various things, physical, financial. And James doesn't have any specific one, because earlier he said various trials. But the key here now is he says, blessed is a man who perseveres. So what does it mean to persevere in a trial? Well, the word itself means to remain, to stand your ground in trouble, affliction, or persecution. So, so what does it look like when I'm going through a hard time? What, what would it look like for me to persevere? Because the opposite would be to quit, okay? So, for example, I, I, I like to use this as an illustration. How many of you, like me, had music lessons of some sort, an instrument, and you quit, and now you can't play an instrument? Anybody else beside me? Now, those of you who didn't quit that can play an instrument, before you give yourself too many pats, I would say nine times out of ten, those of you who didn't quit, it wasn't because of your internal perseverance. It's because your mom said, you are not quitting, right? <laughs> so don't give yourself too much credit. But those moms, this is just a little pointer to moms, right? You know, most of us who, who, who quit wish our mom didn't let us quit. Right? Because now when I see somebody jamming on their guitar, I'm going, wish I could do that. And then I'm reminded I could have if I didn't quit. Right? So what would it look like to quit in my trials? Well, the issue of perseverance means that I am going to try to do two things. One, I'm going to continue to trust God. And number two, I'm going to continue to obey God. If I don't continue to trust God in my difficulties, 
and or don't continue to obey God in my difficulties, then I'm not persevering. Okay? So, as you think about perseverance, perseverance has kind of two angles as well. The first perseverance is when you're going through a specific trial, okay? God may give you a health trial that's not going to last a lifetime, okay? So there are event-type trials. They may last years or they may last weeks, but they're not lifestyle, I mean lifetime. So even Job, as terrible as his life was, in James chapter 5, James says this in James 5.11, Behold, we count people blessed who endured. Same word. We count people blessed who have endured their trial. You have heard of Job and, and, and how the Lord dealt with him compassionately and mercifully. So there's this, you know, maybe right now, what, what are you going through that's difficult? Or, or have you already given up? You're, you're, you're doubting God, you're mad at God, or you're just like, I'm not doing this because I can't take this anymore. And now you're disobeying God. So think of specific areas of perseverance. But then the other thing to think about when it comes to perseverance is that perseverance is a lifestyle for a Christian. It's more than just a punctiliar event. So sometimes Jesus would say things like this. It is only those who persevere to the end who will be saved. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm already saved. Why would Jesus speak about perseverance? Because what we learn from the New Testament is that the mark of all true Christians, if you're truly born again, you will persevere in your faith and trust in Christ. But what's ironic and, and, and almost kind of like mysterious about this is because your perseverance isn't ultimately depending on you. It's depending on Christ. And you're like, well, where do you get that from? Well, let me give you a couple examples. If I wake up, I always see this at weddings, tomorrow morning when I wake up, blah, 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 I will be there. If I wake up tomorrow and I still want to follow Christ, why is that? Is that because I'm just a committed Christian? No. Philippians 1.6 says this, he that began a good work in me will perform it until the day of Christ. You see, Jesus called us and elected us and brought us to himself and he's invested in us. He will not lose a single one of his elect. He said in John 17, Father, of all those you've given me, I will lose none of them. Right? But here's the, here's, here's the rub. Here's the tension. Those who don't finish the Christian life didn't lose their salvation. They weren't Christians. So, so we are called to continue to cling to Christ and follow him all of our lives. That's what true believers do. It's not because I'm earning my salvation, but there's this tension there. The author of Hebrews says, be careful lest there be in any one of you an unbelieving heart and falling away from God. True believers will not do that, but I need to take to heart that God has called me. My Christian life is not to take up my cross today and tomorrow and sprint for just make it through this month. It's a lifetime. Of, of, of following Christ. And I thank God that he's going to discipline and do whatever he needs to do to keep me following him, okay? So I want to encourage, some of you may be on the verge of bailing on this whole thing. And, and, and some of you will get this. What could be more painful than watching one of your loved ones who already profess to be a Christian when they go, I don't believe that stuff anymore? 
That's painful. It's frightening. And the Bible calls people who turn away from the Christian faith permanently apostates. These aren't someone who just fell into sin. These are people who renounce it. I don't believe that stuff anymore. And if you've ever known, we probably all know somebody. We're like, wow, they used to be a passionate Christian. Now they're a passionate atheist. What happened? So the possibility of apostasy is something we need to talk about, okay? Now, that doesn't mean that everybody we know who calls themselves a Christian who's fallen away, they're apostates. But there's a real practical tension here. James chapter 5, the last verse of the book says this. If anyone strays from the truth and you turn him back, you've saved a soul from death and covered a multitude of sins. So here's the thing, parents. I'm happy, and it's exciting when little Billy prays and asks Jesus into his heart. But that's not the end of the race. So I want to encourage you to pray, not only for your, your kids, but for yourself, for perseverance. Lord, help me to, to, to follow you to the end. Jesus taught this, and he exhorted this, and the New Testament encourages us. Blessed is the man who perseveres. Now, I, ironically, the reward that he promises here is the crown of life. That's not something he goes, oh, you made it through that uh, when you had pneumonia and you had to go in the hospital. Here's the crown of life for that. This is that long-term perseverance. It's, it's, it's the mark of being a Christian. So as, as a Christian community, we're brothers and sisters, right? We're real with one another. We correct, we encourage, we instruct, and we exhort each other. Come on, man, hang in there. A- and we allow people to go, I'm struggling. I don't know if I believe that stuff. Or I don't understand why I'm feeling this way. Or I'm so ashamed I did this. But, but we keep encouraging one another, follow through. And since you know our, our mission is to make disciples who make disciples, this is heart and soul discipleship, is that we're encouraging one another to continue to follow the Lord. And so ask yourself, because we have many people who are maturing in Christ, and you're discipling other people. Many of you, you're just parents, and you're discipling your kids. Are you discipling them towards perseverance? What are you doing to train them how to not give up, how to endure difficulties, how to continue to trust Jesus, even though it stinks and it hurts and I don't feel like it? And then how are you encouraging people who may have fallen or struggled? So notice James says, blessed is a man who perseveres in these trials for once he has been approved, he's passed the test. Now, the question I had as I was studying this is, when does that happen, right? Like, it's always too soon to quit, but if, but if I knew, for example, that the Lord said, Tom, it's only going to be one more day. Tomorrow, things are, you're going to laugh because this whole thing, your troubles are going to be long gone. The Bible says, weeping may last for a night, a shadow door comes in the morning. But when it says, when you have been approved, I think, I think we need to think in those two realms. Is God pleased with the way I'm handling a specific trial, and as I look at my broader Christian life, is God saying, hey, now there's, there's a person who is truly persevering to follow me. In, in, in the grand scheme, they have said, come hell or high water, my spouse may turn, my family, my friends, but Jesus, I want to follow you to the end. I want to follow you in such a way that no matter what happens, I want to be true to you. So James says, look, there's a great reward He says, once you've been approved, you will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
Well, first of all, I don't, want, I don't think James is talking about a specific subset of Christians. Only those who love him. A lot of you don't love him. To love Christ is to be a Christian. Sometimes the Bible just uses, you might as well just say believers. In Romans 8, it says, God works all things together for good to those who love God. That's not a subset, right? Everyone who's a born-again Christian loves God. Not because we have to, but because the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. So the Lord has promised to every believer the crown of life. Now, I've wrestled with this whole idea of crowns. The word crown in the New Testament, when it's used of rewards, is the Greek word stephanos. There's two words for crowns. You've heard of a diadem. A diadem is a gold crown that only kings get. A stephanos was a laurel wreath that they gave out to people in the Olympics and for civic service and so forth. So when the Bible holds forth this idea that you're going to get crowns, even in Greek and Roman times, here's a quote from a commentary, it said, Getting a wreath signified appreciation for exceptional contributions. It it was a sense in which a symbol that you have done well. Oftentimes it was given to people who served at their own expense. So when God says, if you persevere in your trials, I will give you the crown of life. Okay. I was taught early in my Christian life that there's like these five different crowns. And wouldn't it be cool to get each one? Man, you get the crown of life, you persevere in trials. Now... If you have self-control, you're going to get another crown. It's called the imperishable crown. 1 Corinthians 9 says, they won perishable crowns, but, but if we buffet our body, we get an imperishable crown. Then, then, oh man, there's a special one for elders. In 1 Peter 5, it says, if you serve well as an elder, you're going to get the crown of glory. And, and, and I tended to kind of go, wow, this is neat. I could get this crown and that crown, and then we fall down and lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. But over time, I started going, man, there seems to be a lot of overlap, and maybe it's not quite as, as cut and dry. For example, in Revelation 2.10, Jesus said to the church, if you are faithful unto death, I will give you the crown of life. Now, now what did he mean by that? Okay? Do only some Christians get the crown of life? No, I don't think so. I think the crown of life is, is some sense of a, a, of a heavenly welcome into the kingdom. So I, I, I've kind of landed here with, this is a quote from a commentary I read this week. It said, it's fruitless to try to pin down a specific promise that James has in mind. You know, the Lord promised a crown of life. Like what exactly that means? But rather we should just know this, that God will reward us for our faithfulness and obedience. Okay, and that there really will be rewards both in this life, you're blessed, and in the life to come. Okay, and so that isn't wrong to let that motivate you to think about that, contemplate your heaven, heavenly rewards to spur you to faithfulness. James says, Look, this is promised by God. And by the way, I want you to think about that. Promises in the New Testament are these precious things that should help me. I'm struggling, but wait, I have this promise. I can do all things through Christ. I have this promise that if I suffer with him now, I'll reign with him then. I have this promise that, that, that God will never leave me nor forsake me. So if you haven't gotten into the habit of, of a, as a Christian of rehearsing God's promises, of using them practically in your life when Satan comes against you, take up the shield of faith and the sword of spirit. What has God promised you that you're holding on to? You're like, I, I need to be married right now. Well, wait a minute. God promised you. He will provide all of your needs. 
So as Christians, we can learn to go, God, thank you for your promises. So I'm promised a reward if I persevere in my trials. But then James, James makes this transition. He goes, but now I want to talk about temptations. And what's really interesting is that the Greek word for trial and temptation is the same word. That's why this is so confusing. It's the Greek word perosmos. And you're like, well, how can a trial and a temptation be the same thing? They're not. But it's the same word. But that shouldn't really be confusing because think about it. Many words have more than one meaning. Like if I said to you, this morning, I saw a trunk. Some of you are looking at elephant trunk, tree trunk, car trunk, human trunk, clothes trunk, okay? The only way we can tell the meaning of a word is we see its context, okay? So sometimes when the Bible uses this word, it's clearly talking about a trial. But other times in the context, it becomes clear that, no, now we're not talking about a trial. Now we're talking about a temptation, and they're not the same thing. They're similar, and this is why it can be confusing. Because while God sends us trials, he never sends us temptations. So, James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. So I want you to just stop and think for a minute. What does it mean to be tempted? To be tempted means to be enticed to sin. Something is drawing you to improper behavior. The problem is, we only use this word now to talk about chocolate. Ooh, that's so tempting. Like temptation is a sober thought. And sin should be something that we're abhorred by. Not like, oh, it was decadently delicious. It was so tempting. Naughty but necessary. Like temptation is real. So James says, when you are experiencing temptations, understand this, that God is not the author of them. I like what John Calvin said. He said, God will try us. He'll give us trials so he can lay before us and make our hearts know. He draws out what's hidden in our hearts. But he says, that's very different from alluring my heart by wicked lusts. God does not draw me and entice me to sin. Now, now he may give me a trial that's painful and difficult, but if I begin to veer aside and, and sin... That was not from God. He did not tempt me. He was not the source of this. Now, I think the reason why James feels the need to do this is because this is how we act as humans. We are brilliant at evading our own responsibility. I'm really good at apologizing as long as I can add the word but and then explain why what I did wasn't really my fault. And I like what one commentary said. He said, this comes from all the way down. It's been delivered us from the first man, Adam, right? So when Adam sins, he's like, yeah, well, you know, the woman that you gave me, right? So James is going, let's make this crystal clear. When you go through hard times, if you turn aside and you decide to disobey God, God didn't tempt you. That entirely came from you. And the Greeks knew this, or the Jews knew this, even before the time of Jesus. In, in Sirach, uh, uh, apocalyptic book, they had this, verse. Don't say, because of the Lord, I left the right way. Don't say, it was he who led me astray. So James wasn't the first guy to say, hey, don't pin your sin on God, right? Well, then, if it's not God who's tempting me, where, where is this coming from? He says, God doesn't tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. 
So let's talk about this word lust because James is saying, look, it's not God who's, he'll put a trial before you, but he doesn't put a temptation before you. The word lust just means desire, okay? Somehow we've given the word lust a bad definition from the get-go, and it's not always that way. Jesus lusted. Same word. In the book of Luke, Jesus said, I desire to eat the Passover, okay? So when the Bible speaks of lust, it could be translated desires, okay? But here's what a lust is when it's wrong. It's a desire for something forbidden, okay? So there's nothing wrong with saying, man, I, I am really thirsty. I desire a drink, right? There's nothing wrong saying, boy, I desire to have intimacy with my spouse. That's not sin, okay? But when I lust for things that are wrong, when I'm craving what I know is wrong, that's a lust. And the Bible tells us that that's sourced in our flesh. Now, James doesn't use the word flesh here, but we know from other scriptures. James says, abstain from, or Peter says, abstain from fleshly lusts. So, Here's how I want you to think about the flesh. The Bible says that there's this principle inside of us called the flesh. And unbelievers are dominated by this force within them that, that dominates them to disobey God. When you become a Christian, Galatians says, we have crucified the flesh. So there's been this decisive break in sin's power over us. I no longer have to be dominated by my flesh. I look to Christ and I consider myself dead to sin. I walk in the spirit. I'm not carrying out the desires of the flesh. However, what the Bible teaches is that we still have remaining sin in us. And this is what it means when it says, don't carry out the desires of the flesh. There will never come a time when you'll be at a place in your Christian experience where you won't have any desire to disobey God, okay? But the question is, are you going to give in to that? Are you going to allow, well, that's just the way I am, you know? I tried stopping my angry outbursts, or I tried to stop, you know, doing this or that. So, so what James is teaching us here is that our own flesh is the root of our sin. Satan can tempt us, our flesh can tempt us, but God doesn't tempt us. Now, notice the imagery that he uses. He uses two phrases, we're carried away and enticed. Now, what's interesting is, most of the commentary said, this is a fishing illustration. You're, you're enticed, there's the bait, and then once you're hooked, you're carried away. And I'm going, but he doesn't put it in that order. He puts carried away first. And the very word carried away, it, it, it has the idea of initially being reluctant, but kind of, kind of being pulled into it. We talk about being dragged into something. So just think about your own heart when, when you start going astray you, you're initially reluctant and then you, then then you you're dragged it's your fault and then you just take the bait and you sin and, and james says when you and i do that he says lust conceives it gives birth to sin sin is accomplished it brings forth death so as we close i want us to think about a couple of things here james is going listen you got to know that the truth about trials and temptations trials they come from our Father, but temptation comes from our flesh. So here's some things that, that are really practical. I want you to ask yourself, how are you doing with your perseverance? Let's start with that. Some of you are being tried right now in your marriage or something that's difficult. You don't like it. How are you doing? Are you trusting God? 
Are you getting better or are you getting bitter? Are you ready to quit? Have you complained? Have you stopped praying? Are you doing things that you are know are sinful, but it gives you some comfort? Well, what do you expect? I mean, when I have to do this, no. James says, blessed is a man who perseveres. Have you grown weary? Are you disillusioned? Are you, are you taking the easy out? If so, let God correct you and call you back. Say, no, you can get through this. I'm going to help you. But secondly, I want you to think, how are you discipling others? How are you preparing your children to handle trials? Or if you're a small group leader, or, or you led someone to Christ, or just somebody you meet with, how, even if it's a peer, how are you speaking encouragement into one another's lives? I've frequently said to someone as I'm talking to them about a difficulty in their marriage, I would love to tell you that if you take the love dare and you do this, this, and this, that your marriage is going to take off. But I don't tell people that because God didn't promise that. So sometimes I'll say to them, you know, this must be really hard. And of course, I get it. I've been there, been around the barn a few times. The Bible says every man's right in his own eyes until the other person gives their side. But nevertheless, there's times I'll say to a person, I can imagine this is a difficult place you're in in your marriage. But God's primary concern isn't your happiness. It's your holiness. And is he calling you to endure something? Now, I recognize there are situations where obviously no, you know, extreme abuse and so forth. But, you know, sometimes we just give in to addictions and, and, and sin. And we're like, well, you know, no, we need to prepare for that. Secondly, or third, I want you to ask this. How steadfast are you in your resolve to resist temptation? I think that's so important. Because we could talk all day about principles for resisting temptation, but if you and I are not committed that that sin is destructive, it's costly, it's awful, and and I, I need to have a firm resolve that I want to be victorious in Christ. You're like, well, you know, what do you mean by that? Well, Jesus said, if your right hand's causing you to sin, cut it off. He wasn't saying, go chop your arm off. He's saying, be drastic. What steps are you willing to take if you are being defeated by a sin and you keep giving into it, ask yourself, what steps are you willing to take? Are you willing to bring it in the light and talk to people? Are you willing to be held accountable? Are you willing to get some counseling? Are you willing to make some radical changes in your circumstances and your setting so you're not making provisions to continue to give in? You know, sometimes we just go, Pastor, you should be talking to people who are in recovery. And, I, and you know what my answer is? I am talking to people in recovery. We're all in recovery from sin. Our sin may not be a substance, but it's still sin. And we can't say, well, you know, it's just anger, it's just this, or it's just that. It's sin. When I'm giving in to temptation, it's sin. And Christ has something better for me. He has victory. So, at this point, you might be thinking, man, well, I've really messed up. I've failed. Here's an encouraging truth. There's great mercy with the Lord. Jesus is not up here speaking through me, going, you big failure. There's always mercy with the Lord, but mercy is extended to the repentant. The Lord doesn't despise a contrite heart. The Bible says, let the wicked forsake his way. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. When we humble ourselves before God, when we're serious about turning from our sin, Christ isn't up there going, it's about time, now figure it out. He's there to embrace us. He's there to run toward us. He's there to change us and to help us. So even if you failed and you just feel like, wow, this is just, you know, you're just beating up on me. The Lord's not beating up on us. He's saying, listen, 
you can do this. You can persevere. I will teach you how to rely on my spirit. We will grow together as a community. Amen? But the last thing I want you to think about is this. Have we trials and temptations? You're like, wait, trials and temptations. I've heard that song before. Is there trouble anywhere? You're going, yeah, man. I struggle with trials and temptations. We should never be discouraged. Why? Take it to the Lord in prayer. You're like, prayer? You doing a sermon on prayer? No. But can we connect a few dots here? This and prayer better meet somewhere, right? Because at the end of the day, the only way I'm going to learn to get through my troubles and through my temptations is prayer. And let me suggest this. Not just clean up prayer. Oh, God, I trashed it again. Please forgive me. How about preparatory prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, well, how often do I do that? Daily bread? Lead me not into temptation. So I want to encourage you to add into your prayer life, Lord, I don't know what's coming, but please protect me. Protect me from Satan. Protect me from being stupid. Protect me from acting impetuous. Protect me from falling into these same cycles. Help me to, 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 to change and to grow and to walk in the Spirit so I don't just keep being defeated. And make that a part of your regular prayer life beforehand. And you're like, no, Pastor Tom, I'm in, man. I'm, I'm a fully a 1,000% committed. And, and Peter was like that too. He goes, I'll go down with you, geez. And Jesus goes, Pete, I know you're willing, but your flesh is weak. So watch and pray. So let's close in prayer. Father, thanks for your word. And today, Lord, we, we pray that you will help us to do some soul searching. Help us to grow and persevere in our trials. Comfort those who are so deeply afflicted today. Give them hope. Give blessing and reward to those who trust and obey you. Give mercy for the times that we haven't. And Father, as we move forward as a community, may we learn to stand firm against sin and to fight it and to confess it and to see the Holy Spirit bringing victory to each brother and sister in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Amen.